Wonderful morning today, a wonderful day in the Lord. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being here today and celebrating with us the baptism of these eight, eight young people. Uh, we're sadly on the last day of this series called The End. And uh, I've had a lot of great feedback, a lot of questions. And um, I think that what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to do part two in the not too uh, distant future. So we're looking forward to that. But today we want to continue to look at the signs. Jesus tells us very clearly in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21 and Mark 13, or what it's going to be like in the end. His disciples actually asked Jesus, Jesus, how, how will we know when the end will come? And Jesus gives them very clear instruction. And we've talked about that for the last three weeks, and we're going to talk about it again today. But uh, before I go any further, let me just introduce my topic um, by sharing this. This is uh, Reverend Greta Vosper. She's the minister of the West Hill United Church in Toronto. Her claim to fame is that she is an openly atheistic minister. I'm going to give you a moment to let that settle in. Yeah, someone just said, what? Let me say that again. She is, she is very openly atheistic. She doesn't believe in God, but she is a minister. So I, I don't know about you, but my mind just goes, snaps. I don't get this. I, don't, I can't even begin to comprehend what it means to be a minister and not to believe in God. Uh, I, I'd be very curious to know what she talks about at her church. So here's the thing. So she was recently called before the United Church Ecclesiastical Court, where they were trying to decide what they're going to do with this atheistic minister. And one of her friends got wind of what was happening to her, and, and her friend was very, very disgusted by the behavior of the the upper echelons of the United Church. I don't know what they call them there, maybe bishops or archbishops, I have no idea. But her friend was very upset. Her friend is uh, Reverend Beverly Burlock, another United Church minister. And so she sends out the scorching open letter where she asserts that the church, this is this, the church has lost its way. And you think, oh, well, that's heartening to understand, to recognize that, that there's somebody who recognizes that the church has lost its way. But... We have to read on here, and you'll discover that she says that the church has lost its way, not because, uh, because the minister is an atheist, but because of the way she feels that the upper echelons, the leadership of the church, have treated her. She says, the church's treatment of Greta Vosper is shameful. Burlock says she can no longer stay silent when her colleague is being abandoned and hung out to dry like a sacrificial lamb. Did I just read that correctly? Yes. She's comparing Vosper to Jesus Christ, who was, in fact, a sacrificed lamb. Greta is being treated the same as the religious authorities of his day treated Jesus, who called them out on putting law over compassion. This is, what is, this is precisely what's wrong with our generation. Folks, when I, at the end of the day, what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves a question. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? 
What does God require of us? What is it that we as Christians need to do, need to believe? Who are we as Christians? Greta Vosper believes that she can be a minister and also not believe in God. Well, you're sitting there and you're as stunned as I was when I first heard about this. Jesus says, or actually the Apostle Paul says this, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So what we need to understand is that there is an enemy. And I'm going to, I'm, I know I'm talking about things that are in the supernatural realm. Our church, unlike some churches, we still believe in the supernatural here. We still believe that God is supernatural. We believe in miracles. Well, I'm going to get to that in just a few minutes. But suffice it to say, there is an enemy of the church. There's an enemy of Christ. There's an enemy of the church. There's an enemy of the truth. And he will do whatever he can to distort and to help us turn away or to force us to turn away from the truth that sets us free. Notice that Paul calls it the true faith. Because how many understand today that there's all kinds of people with faith? But he needs to qualify it by that word true. Because here's what you need to know. The faith that pleases God is the true faith. Interestingly, Jesus says, or it says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But understand, it's not just any faith. It is the true faith. And so poor Greta Vosper, whom I think we should pray for. In fact, I'm going to pray for her right now. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray for Greta? Father, we lift up Greta Vosper today. We don't despise her. We don't hate her. In fact, we love her. And we're praying, Father, that you would break through the deception that has filled her mind and that in Jesus' name she would see Jesus Christ and that she would turn from her atheism to a true faith of surrender to Jesus Christ. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if anybody hears of Greta Vosper surrendering her life to Christ and becoming a Christian, would you please let me know? Because I'd love to know that the church in Toronto has got a real Christian minister. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as we come to the end of the series on the end, here's what we discover at the end of the chapter. Jesus says to be ready. So I'd like you to tell the person beside you, be ready. Go ahead. Just go ahead. And be ready. Did you say it like me or were you timid about it? You have to be bold with an exclamation mark. <laughs> be ready. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. So I know that when you go home today, you're going to remember be ready and that somebody spit on you. <laughs> be ready. Be ready for Christ's return. This is the message. This is the ultimate message of Matthew 24. 
Now, I know some of you said, you know, Pastor John, I've been hearing about the coming of Jesus for many years. I saw all the movies called Left Behind. Anybody see those movies or read the books, Left Behind? And you say, well, Jesus still hasn't come yet. Well, the Apostle Peter, back almost 2,000 years ago, he kind of addressed that when he said, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, hey, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? That might be you today. You may be one of those people that scoffs and mocks and says, ah, I've heard it already. I had, we had somebody here the other, just a couple of weeks ago, that works in one of the, one of the Christian offices. I'm not going to say which one. Uh, related to the PAOC. And she said to me, when we took her out for lunch, said, you know, I feel kind of skeptical about the whole thing. And my mind's like, what? You are in a position where you're influencing the next generation, and you are skeptical about the coming of Christ? Well, it shouldn't surprise us, because that's precisely what Peter tells us, and it's precisely what the Lord Jesus tells us, and it's precisely what the Apostle Paul tells us. In fact, we read about it over and over and over again. You and I, as Christians, as followers of Christ, must always be in a constant state of readiness, of preparedness, where we are waiting for and looking for or watching for Christ's second coming. Now, I want you to look at this verse. Jesus says, you also must be ready. Let's start, let's do that again. You also must be ready. The exclamation mark. For the Son of Man will come when? When least expected. As Christians, this is what it means to be a Christian, is that you are constantly looking for Christ's return. You don't know the day, Jesus says, and you don't know the hour. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. But Jesus says, just because you don't know the day or the hour doesn't mean I'm not coming. I am coming again. So be ready. Over the past four weeks, here's what we've talked about. We've, first of all, we talked about the signs, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, uh, forest fires. Uh, some of you remember me talking about the, the chip that they're implanting into people now in Sweden. I think there's 4,000 people who've already got that chip. And, and it's, it's for what? For selling, for trading, selling and buying. In fact, it says in Revelation that without the mark of the beast, you cannot sell or trade. So we believe that 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 chip will definitely be connected to that. How? We don't know. But it's already happening. Now, it couldn't happen before until now because there weren't enough computers big enough to store all the information that would make it possible to process that kind of information. Those are some of the signs. And then we talked about the Antichrist. And, of course, we know that the Antichrist and the beast, that you cannot trade or sell without the mark of the beast. We talked about that and how we're starting to see how that would unfold. We don't know exactly how, what that's going to look like, but we know it's coming. And then last week, we talked about Israel. And we said that the, the end times clock was at a standstill until Israel would be reborn. In 70 AD, Israel ceased to exist as a nation, and for 1,900 years, no Israel. And then suddenly, in 1948, May 14th, Israel became a nation again, and suddenly all the Bible scholars are saying, oh, this is huge. 
This is like one of the most important things that's happened in the last 2,000 years. Israel is born, become a nation. And what you're going to find in the scripture is at the end times, the end time discussion, end time theology, all revolves around the birth of Israel, the rebirth of Israel, and the goings on in Israel. We talked about that last week. By the way, some of you asked the question, do, do, do Jewish people still have to be saved like we do? Absolutely. So don't anybody go away thinking there's two ways to heaven, the Jewish way and the Christian way. No, Jesus said, said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no footnote to that scripture. It's clear. But that doesn't mean that God hates Israel because some people have that notion. Some people follow that theology. It's... Uh, uh, reconstructionist uh, theology, but we, we believe that, that Israel will be saved, and you can read about that in Romans 11. Now, if I had time, I would also talk to you about uh, another sign, which I don't have time to. If we were, if we were able to go for five weeks, uh, this is what I would talk about. Um, hang on a minute. Uh, in Matthew 24, 14, let's go to the next slide there. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So Bible scholars reading Matthew 24 understood that the, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, had to be preached to the whole world in order for the end to come. Well, guess what, folks? This has happened now in the last 50 to 60 years. The, the message of the, go- the gospel has gone out through, over radio waves, TV waves, uh, and through missionaries that people have gone throughout the world. And uh, we recognize now that the whole world basically has heard the gospel message. So, folks, this was a huge sign, and I wish that we had time to explore this. I have explored it before. That's why we're not doing it now. And we'll probably explore it in February at our great uh, missions banquet. The gospel has to be preached throughout the world. This is why, by the way, we, we support missions and why we support Sergio Brasaglio. This is why we, we are involved in Burundi. Because our church, get this, this is so exciting. Our church has been active in bringing Jesus back. Did you get that? It's pretty amazing. Our church is active, spreading the gospel, making it possible for Jesus Christ to return. When the whole world hears, then the end will come. That's why our church is involved in preaching the gospel, not just here, but around the world. We'll, we'll preach a sermon on this on another day. But the fourth sermon that I want to really, really dig into a bit more this morning is the message of, of being ready, ready for Christ's return. At that time, many will turn away from the faith, Jesus said, and will betray and hate each other. False prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. What Jesus is describing here, folks, is is what we call apostasy. Can you just go back one slide, if you don't mind? Uh, Is it back one slide? There we go. I want to just share with you the definition of apostasy, because some of you maybe don't know what that means. Apostasy is renouncing or abandoning a religious belief. It's sometimes called, we call that person a defector, a deserter, a traitor, or even a backslider. What are they deserting? What are they a traitor to, a deserter of? Of the faith, of Christianity. And now let's go forward again, because we recognize that that's exactly what will be happening in the last days. People are going to turn away from the faith. In fact, many will. 
And the love of many is going to grow cold and sin will be rampant. Hey, you know what? I've been a pastor for a lot of years, but I can tell you that what it was like when I first started to where it is right now, it's worlds apart. And I think most of us understand that. I'm going to tell you, tell you that probably the, the, the single most significant uh, aid, if you want to call it that, to, to rampant sin has been the internet and pornography. This is a huge, huge problem. And you know what? There's always been sin on the earth. We've always seen sinful things happen. But never, never in the history of humanity have we ever seen anything like what we're seeing now. And folks, I'm going to tell you something very shocking. It's not just unbelievers. It's not just amongst unbelievers where we're seeing rampant sin. But folks, we're even seeing it among those who call themselves believers. This is a sign of the end of times. The love of many will grow cold. In fact, some of you may be sitting here today, you of your own very personal struggle, and you feel even hopeless at times. In fact, your heart has grown, grown cold. You've lost your zeal and your enthusiasm, your excitement, and your passion for God. Folks, it's to you that I'm especially speaking, because you need to understand that Jesus said this has happened in the last days. And so today, I'm saying to you, it's time for you to do business with, with God. And if you've got a struggle, you need to talk to your pastor. I do not judge or condemn, but I embrace all who struggle. I will pray with you, and I will help you through your struggle. If you've lost your passion and your fire from God, you need to talk to me to make sure that you're ready for the, for the coming of the Lord. Jesus says that people are going to turn away from the faith. People are going to be deceived. There'll even be pastors who don't believe in God, and sin will be rampant. I know you're sitting here thinking today, well, Pastor Allen, how can I make sure I'm ready? What do I need to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because Jesus tells us clearly what we need to do. We need to hang on to that ancient faith. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me just give you a sort of a snapshot what's happening in North America right now. There's a, a big church in Winnipeg. I'm not going to name the church. Very large church. But the pastor there has declared that he will not use the word sin. S-I-N. Does that surprise anybody? He's not going to use the word sin, and here's why. Because when he uses the word sin, that is demeaning, and it discourages people, and it's an assault on people's self-esteem, and uh, it makes people feel bad. Well, here's the problem, folks, with this, with this way of thinking. The Old Testament mentions sin 1,263 times. The New Testament mentions sin almost 600 times. In total, there's almost 1,800 verses in the Scripture that talk about the sinful condition of man. Now, you might ask, well, Pastor, why, why do you speak about sin? Why don't you just... Do what that other pastor does. Don't talk about sin and don't discourage people. Well, I'll tell you why, folks. It's because of sin that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth in the first place. Jesus came to this earth to deal with our sin. It's our sin that has caused a separation between us and God. Jesus came to this earth, and the Bible is very clear about this, he came to this earth to reconcile man to himself. In other words, not just man, but humans. 
This is what, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. We sing, we sing the song. God and sinner reconciled. Some of you remember that Christmas hymn. That's why Jesus came. It's because of sin. And when we talk about sin, it's not to make people feel bad, but it's rather to show you the great hope that's yours. You may be struggling in your sin, but the good news is that Jesus came to this earth to pay the price for your sin. And when when you want to come to God, you can come to God guaranteed based not on your goodness, but based on the goodness of Jesus Christ. And this is why it says in Hebrew, we can, Hebrews, we can come to the throne of God with all of our needs, with all of our problems, all of our struggles, not because we've been good today, but because Jesus Christ is good. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we're able to come to the, to the throne of God with all of our needs. And it says in Hebrews, don't just come to the throne of God, come boldly with confidence and assurance that Jesus Christ has dealt with your sin once and for all. Someone say, hallelujah. hallelujah. This, my friends, is the true gospel. And there's churches today now that are not preaching the true gospel. But we shouldn't be shocked or surprised at that because Jesus tells us that this is precisely what's going to happen. I can tell you as long as Pastor Ellen Duncalf is a pastor of this church, God helping me, you are going to hear the true faith. The true faith. You've got to make sure that your heart is engaged with the true Christ and the true message that was presented to us through the apostles and through Jesus Christ. I always proclaim that I am a preacher of the ancient faith. Not the modern faith, but the ancient faith. The faith that's been handed down to us through centuries. Now, I'm going to tell you, churches, they don't want to talk about heaven, and they don't want to talk about hell. You don't want to talk about death and dying. These are, these are unsavory topics, especially the topic of hell. And yet Jesus speaks about hell more than he speaks about anything. Pastor Allen, you now are, are drifting into territory I'm not comfortable with. The good news is I'm going to preach about hell on another day. <laughs> so don't worry. But I'm going to tell you, folks, either I preach the full Bible or you may as well go home. I'm going to tell you the full message, or what's the point? Are you in agreement with this? I'm going to tell you the whole, the whole scripture. Or as, as Pastor Barber, my pastor, said years and years ago, I've got, got to preach the full counsel of the scripture. You're going to hear it all. Some pastors, they don't want to talk about human sexuality. They don't want to talk about that because it can be offensive to some people. They want to talk about miracles because, quite frankly, in the year 2018, we're far too brilliant to talk about such superstitious topics. We don't want to talk about the end, the coming of Christ. We don't want to talk about repentance, repenting from our sin and turning to God in full surrender. Because these are not, these are not contemporary subjects. It's a little too old-fashioned. Too smart for this kind of stuff, Pastor. We don't want to, ed- we don't want to, ed- we don't want to uh, offend the educated minds of our young people. And so, consequentially, we, uh, we have become a postmodern 
church and we have rejected the supernatural. Not us, but church in general in North America. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have to embrace and accept the supernatural. It is fundamental to what it means to be a believer. And it begins, this is not, this is not rocket science, or as someone said, rocket surgery. God is supernatural. Our faith is a supernatural faith. And it is faith. There's a belief that is required. Now, here's what I told uh, some of the young people that I baptized this morning. Back in my office, we had a reception. And I said this, I've been serving God for uh, over 40 years. been a Christian. But I can tell you, and I have studied and studied. Come to my office. Anybody, is, anybody here is welcome to come to my office to see my office and to, to have a chat with me. You will see that I'm a prolific reader. And I don't read just Christians, Christian stuff. I try to read all the disciplines. I try to be familiar with what's happening in all areas. I can tell you that after all of my studying, my faith is not less, it's stronger. I see, listen to this, I see the logic and the reason. It's very rational, and it makes sense. The notion or the idea that Christianity and science are somehow opposed to each other or not compatible is a lie. I challenge you to Google the subject, and you'll see for yourself. There was some, a survey done not that long ago, surveying uh, some of the brightest scientists in North America and Europe. We're talking, we're talking uh, physicists, chemists, people, uh, theoretical physicists. We're talking about the brightest minds on the planet. And here's what we discovered. The majority have a belief in God. And if not full faith, they still believe there's a God. I challenge you to be intellectually honest. Don't just say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. That's intellectually honest. That's, that means that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no God. At least be honest and say, I'm an agnostic. I don't know. But I would challenge you, start researching it. This is what C.S. Lewis did. Some of you know who C.S. Lewis is. He's the one that did the Chronicles of Narnia. There's been a number of movies based on this. And, and this, is what, this is what happened with, with C.S. Lewis. He said, I started researching this. And all of a sudden he said, the lights came on and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God. And if I, had, if I was going to be intellectually honest, I had to say that Jesus Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And he said, I was the most reluctant convert there ever was. He said, I actually felt sad, but I had to, I knew if I was going to be intellectually honest. And remember, this man is a professor at Oxford University. He said, if I'm going to be intellectually honest, then I'm going to have to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I recognize that you are real, that you are God. Jesus says in the last time, days, many will turn away from the faith. And sin will be rampant, and the love of many will grow cold. 
You know what? Nothing's new under the sun. But for the, listen to this. For the past 200 years, there's been a battle going on. And it's a battle between what we call modernism, or today called postmodernism, and what we call Orthodox Christianity. That's the ancient faith that I've been talking about. In 1924, somebody did this little uh, ca- cartoon. And it shows, it shows a man leaving Christianity and turning away from the infallibility of the Bible, adopting the idea, the notion that, that humans are not created in God's image. And by the way, once you cross that line and you say that we are not created in God's image, then you'll have no problem aborting babies. And then you go to the place, well, there's no miracles, there's no virgin birth, we're going to dis- explain all that away, that Jesus Christ is not God, and then there's no atonement, that is that Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins, and that Jesus didn't really resurrect from the dead, and the next thing you know, I'm an agnostic. Uh, agnostic comes from, from Greek words, uh, gnosis, which means knowledge, and a meaning no or not knowledge, no knowledge. That's what an agnostic is, I have no knowledge. And then you move to the next inevitable position, you become an atheist. A meaning not theism coming from the word theos, which is God. No God. I don't believe in God. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that an atheist will so often be more evangelistic about their position than Christians are about their position. They'll, they'll debate you, and they'll fight you, and they'll declare there's no God, and, and Christians are idiots, and they're morons, and who could believe in miracles, and so on and so forth. You've heard all of that. In fact, this is what our kids are being subjected to in school and in university today. It's time for us, my people, to understand that we have to stand up and say, we believe in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. We believe he died for our sins, and he was resurrected. And I'm going to tell you this, if he didn't do that, then all of us here today are lost in our sin forever. You have no hope of heaven. You have no hope of ever being able to come to God. Our faith says that Jesus Christ has done everything he says he came to do. We believe the word of God is inspired by God and gives us direction in this life. You say, Pastor Allen, so I know I need to I need to hold to the ancient faith. Is there anything else? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because yes, there is something else you need to do. You have to make sure you're holding to the ancient faith. That is, you put your faith in Christ. You've asked Jesus into your life. You said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to just invite you into my life. I'm going to actually do what you tell me to do. How many know that faith is believing God and doing what he says? But there's something more. James, James points this out. He says, hey, even the devil, he says that in the book of James, read it yourself. Even the devil and the demons believe in God and they tremble. It's not enough just to believe. Jesus makes it clear to us that we have to serve. We have to do what Jesus tells us to do. And we read that in Matthew 24, 46 to 47. Listen to this. If the master returns, that's Jesus, if he returns to earth, which he says he's going to do, and that's what the end is all about. If Jesus returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, who's the servant? You and me. If Jesus returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all that he owns. Now, a lot of people don't get this. When I hear people talk about the sheep and the goats, 
I often hear it in the context that we have got to be socially active in making a difference in this world. Please understand the context in which Jesus teaches and preaches this. If you have your Bible, you can see it for yourself in Matthew 25. We're talking about Matthew 24, but now I'm talking about Matthew 25. At the end of that chapter, there's a section, and in your Bible, it might be headed, the heading might be this, uh, the final judgment or something like that. And then Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep will go to their eternal reward. They'll be with Jesus to go to a place called heaven. Yes, we still believe in that here at Cross Church. And there's a place for the goats, place of eternal punishment, or a place that we might call hell. How do I know that I'm going to heaven? Well, that's a really good question. So we know for sure that you've got to make sure that you have your faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that you love him like that. But the second thing that you need to understand is that you need to be busy serving God. How? Well, Jesus says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Jesus says, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Jesus says, I had no clothes, but you gave me clothes to wear. Jesus says, I was sick, and you take care of me. Jesus says, I was in prison, and you visited me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And, the, and they're going to ask, but Jesus, when did we ever do this for you? And Jesus will say this, when you did this, For the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Go into your eternal reward. And then Jesus was going to turn to those who did not care for the sick, who did not care for the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. And Jesus was going to say, depart from me. And to that place, if eternal punishment. I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers, did you hear that, my brothers and sisters? You're refusing to help me. Jesus says this, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. How do you know you're ready? You put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're holding to that ancient faith. And secondly, You're actively serving. You are actively involved in advancing the kingdom of God. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Father, for what you want to do in our hearts and lives by your Spirit. God, I pray that every single person here today would put their faith fully in Jesus Christ and would love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they would prove their love for you by their willingness to serve. Because Jesus, when you come again, that's how we're going to be judged. So we thank you, God, for those who put their faith in Christ and those who are doing what Jesus has told us to do. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, no need to panic. Everything's cool. But for those of us who are not where we need to be, 
And some of us know that full well. Right now, the Spirit of God is poking us. Poking you. you need to, you're that one that needs to surrender your life to Christ. And I pray that by God's grace and in his enabling, you would do that today. So Father, go with us as we go from this place. And may we be careful to watch for your return. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you just like this, be ready.